Uh, hello, my name is Daniel Byman of Georgetown University, and I'm here with Jess Davis of uh, the Inside Threat Intelligence. And uh, we are going to talk today primarily about counterterrorism and the far right. And Jess, if it's okay, I'll, I'll start just by asking you that in both the United States and Canada, there's been a lot more focus on the far right with regard to counterterrorism in recent years. And in fact, the U.S. recently released a counterterrorism strategy focused on domestic terrorism. I know you've thought a lot about this. Um, how does counterterrorism need to change to handle the far right problem? Yeah, this is something that I've been thinking quite a lot about, sort of thinking through our counterterrorism tools and policies and how they might apply against that whole spectrum of ideologically motivated violent extremists. I think that there's a lot of challenges in applying some of our group-based tools to the more amorphous movements. But the one that's really striking me most recently is like the, the issue of borders. So in Canada and in the UK and Australia, we use our immigration border and refugee tools to exclude or remove people with suspected terrorism associations. It's a lot easier from an evidentiary perspective than prosecuting them for terrorism offenses. And so this is something that we've used a lot in terms of jihadist extremism uh, for the PKK, for the LTTE, but I'm not sure how well it's going to work with the extreme right and other ideologically motivated extremists. You know, it really seems to be that you know, we'll be able to exclude people for being associated with like national action, but the balance of people that are going to be involved in this form of violent extremism are actually residents of our own countries. So these immigration and border tools are far less applicable. Uh, let me add to that what I feel is a, a very troubling point in the United States, and I suspect less in Canada, but perhaps I'm just ignorant, uh, which is the overlap between some of these groups and more mainstream politics. And a huge problem in the United States compared to jihadist terrorism is that there are echoes of what these organizations, whether they're anti-government or white supremacists, what they're pushing for and what mainstream political figures say. Um, in contrast with the jihadists, it's really a fringe of a fringe of a fringe, and it's just going after some isolated individuals who don't have much backing. But um, you know, if you go to something like the January sixth insurrection, um, you know, imagine if Capitol Police had simply opened fire on the crowds, and that would have had a huge and very damaging domestic political consequences, even if you think about it as legitimate self-defense. Yeah, and I think this is a problem that most states with an extreme right or ideologically motivated violent extremist problem have. There is that overlap with legitimate political views that's really, really difficult. And I think, you know, for Canada and the United States, we also have an additional issue in that historically we've worked really closely on a lot of our counterterrorism investigations. But right now, you know, with the U.S. not having domestic terrorism legislation, I think there's a really big gap between what our two countries can do together. And Canadians, frankly, have really relied on the United States to help us manage our counterterrorism problem, either through supportive investigations and in some cases getting people across the border into the U.S. so they can be prosecuted in the U.S. where they're going to have a bit more success doing that. So I think for Canada, we're going to have to be managing our own terrorism problem far more than we had to in the post 9-11 era. And so it actually kind of makes me wonder if we're going to see more terrorism arrests and prosecutions than we saw during the global war on terrorism. And I wonder if this also applies to other countries like Australia and the UK, where we are seeing like these designations and action in, in that space. 
Uh, one thing that's really interesting to me about the designations we've seen in Canada and are increasingly seeing in other uh, democracies is that uh, that's much harder to do in the United States because of the very strong protections of the First Amendment that other countries with a free speech commitment don't have that kind of absolute First Amendment veto that uh, really inhibits going after some of these groups. But what I've noticed is social media companies in particular are following what Canada is doing really to use it as, excuse is probably too strong, but to really use it as a guide for their own actions because they know they want to go yeah. after these far right groups, but they can't rely on the list the way they can for foreign groups in the United States. So uh, having what countries like Canada does actually really benefits U.S. companies. So it's a strange, I think, mix where Canada's reliance may be diminished on the United States, but the U.S.'s may actually be increasing. That's an interesting idea. And I also think that it's important to remember, too, that we do have a Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and freedom of expression is really quite protected here. So there may be other sort of balances that we can strike on that. I think the thing that you're pointing to that is most interesting, though, is sort of the idea that we need to recalibrate our tools and approaches, because what's in, what's actually happening is we're kind of displacing terrorist activity between jurisdictions, depending on how we're responding to the threat. And we know, we know that we've done this over the last two decades between different countries and the different ways that we're, we're responding to it. But I think right now it's really coming home and it's pretty evident in North America at the moment. And uh, this is something that I think really stands out when you compare it to the jihadist world, yeah. where there in the United States, at least, um, displacement, displacement actually kind of worked, where there are huge problems uh, that in part created by U.S. actions regarding jihadist groups throughout the Middle East. But at the same time, the U.S. homeland has been relatively secure, but it's just not going to work for this challenge. No, exactly. There's so many difficult things that we have to grapple with in this space now. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you about this, Dan. Pleasure is mine. Thanks, Jess. Thanks.